0: Listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So, hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Changing Reality. We are so, so thrilled to have you here with us again on another amazing uh, show. So, for all of you who don't know, Changing Reality is a radio show that we have here on WQHS Radio, Penn Student Run Radio, and it is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are, in essence, changing their own reality. So, we'll be hanging out and interviewing social change makers, entrepreneurs, top executives, um, even musicians and artists and inspiring individuals from all walks of life, many of them who even spent some time here on the Penn campus. And we're really lucky because we get to hear these inspiring stories on how they not only change the reality um, that they live in, but we also get to do that by seeing what their experiences are, what made them who they are today, and what lessons can we take away so that we can find ways to live the lives that we want as well. And I wanted to do these shows simply because I believe in the power of those stories. And I feel like there are a lot of people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of those around them. And I'm just passionate about learning how those people change the world in their own capacity so that we can do the same and we can start building a better world. Personally, I founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, that collaborates with international organizations, even ministries of education to help provide an alternative education platform for any student that wants to change their reality. And the essence of it is in sharing stories. We work with students from elementary, to high school, through various sessions, programs, um, experiential learning activities and projects that help them discover their passion, learn about themselves and the world around them, and start their own careers while through providing them the guidance, the tech, the resources that they need to actually change the world around them. And as I said, one of the huge factors that actually enables them to even step out of the system and actually see things differently is hearing inspiring stories. So to show you the impact of that, to date, we've worked with over 10,000 students in 970 communities and have incubated countless number of student-run projects, social enterprises, all run by students aged 8 to 25 years old, which is changing the world around them. And even better, in September, we're actually organizing a conference for 50,000 students from all across the world that is fully run by those students age 8 to 25 as well. They're the ones going out there and working with different departments, ministries. They're the ones who are working with the companies, the corporates, producing the content, coming up with ideas, liaising the speakers. In, and the best part is the whole conference is conducted and run by multiple award-winning Gen Zs from all across the world. So. 10-year-olds from Tanzania who run financial literacy startups, or 17-year-olds in India who run million-dollar companies, to even 15-year-olds here in the U.S. that actually work with legislators through their own non-profits to actually improve climate-related policies and environment-related policies. So we get to hear all of these experiences, and hopefully these kind of stories inspire us. So that is the essence about changing reality, why we do what we do. And that's the impact we create through shows like this. So if you guys have any questions about it, do drop it in the show chat below. But get ready to be inspired in today's session itself. And remember, it's all about taking away something that you can use to make yourself a step closer towards achieving your own goals as well. So before we introduce today's speaker, I just want to share a little bit about how I found out about today's speaker. So I was reading this article that summarizes some of the key points of of this amazing keynote on digitalization and how to best utilize digital tools in an era where they are all very widespread. And the person writing this article Uh, They were sitting in this conference. They were taking notes as the speaker was going on. And one of the things that they mentioned, which made me go, oh, that's pretty interesting, is that everyone in the hall was furiously scribbling their notes, trying to process as much information as possible. And he kept embedding how the audience reacted to this keynote. And I was thinking, who is this person speaking? They must really, really know their stuff. And they must be really, really inspiring to not only have that information, but present it in a way that is understandable, but at the same time, creates an impact, makes people want to listen more. So get ready your pens and papers, because that person is actually our guest for today. So our guest for today is an experienced tech GM who is, who is known as a thought leader and expert in sales, operations, marketing and management, and much more. His career spans several industries and functions and organizations that we all know and love, from Google, UPS, Earthlink, internet brands, and even NASA. So in this world where tech and information about tech are widespread and rampant, We've got to make sure that we keep in touch with the experts. And today's speaker is an industry expert. He has even written several industry-wide papers on lead generation, customer development, measurement and analytics, and has spoken on numerous panels and conferences, just like the article I read about, on the subject of customer development, digital marketing strategy, diversity and inclusion, and so many other important, essential, and timely topics. So, without further ado, let's welcome our speaker to the virtual stage, bringing to you Lawrence Cole, the global head of sales and enablement and strategy at Google.
1: Thanks for having me, Harsha.
0: Thank you. How are you feeling?
1: I'm doing well. You know, all things considered, I uh, I feel pretty blessed, and I have no complaints.
0: All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I didn't mention this in your introduction, but you're actually a Wharton alumni. So it's really great to connect and um, share your experiences with some of the students tuning in from Penn. Um, but it's to see the amazing things that you've done, the things that you speak about, the work that you do is absolutely phenomenal. And you're definitely a pro in tech, in um, even in, I would argue, like sales and all of that. But you didn't really start in that field, right? I think by profession no. you actually studied a bachelor in electrical engineering, so yeah, that's I've a big difference. So mm-hmm. Tell us the story behind that
1: well, um my original career goal was actually to be a professor um and it wasn't so much because I wanted to teach um I had had my run of a couple of jobs at places that you may have heard of, like McDonald's or um uh, the movie theater in my teens and I just decided that I hated working for people and I hated having a boss. And I thought that if I got a PhD, <laughs> I could avoid having to have a traditional job. And so that's what my 17 year old brain was thinking when I chose engineering, electrical engineering as a major. I also went to school during a time when there was just a lot more scholarship money in engineering and I was trying to figure out how I could hustle to get free college. And engineering was a part of that. So I actually started my career as a software engineer, um, after studying in electrical and software engineering in undergrad,
0: all right, very, very cool. and okay, the professor' thing makes a lot of sense. I know lots of seventeen year olds who want to be their own boss and who are probably listening to this as well. so like finishing college, like going to like the working world in a sense, like what was the things that you experienced that you didn't expect as a student in a sense?
1: Yeah, so I think my my first really big dose of reality was getting laid off of the very first real job that I ever had out of college. And I'm not sure if that's so special today because you know I am maybe like, I guess, a few years just before the millennial generation started. I think the millennials and then Gen Z has had a pretty hard way to go. And so I might not get a ton of sympathy for that. But when I was coming out of college, it was the end of the bull market. So Um, No one had a concept of losing your job if you were an educated person. So eight months into that first job, I got laid off and um, went through a really difficult time where the little that I did have, I I probably lost it. Um, And that was a really big kick for me and, and learning about the fact that you're never fully protected from circumstance and that you need to always have your feet moving, always have something that you're building and working on and to not be overly dependent, even on a great company, because things can change in an instant. And I think I really grew up um, out of that first experience of finding myself pretty much broke um, and fairly destitute because I refused to move back home from California to to Florida. And so um, that was like the biggest shock that I had coming out of college was that a degree, even an engineering degree, was not some golden ticket to success. Um, Things can change in an instant and you are forced to kind of show what you're made of and sometimes um, have to think in really creative ways about how you're going to survive or make your next move. And I think that was probably the most Defining experience of my young adult life that made me into who I am right now.
0: Wow. And I think that that's very timely to hear that because a lot of people are going through that phase or have recently gone through that phase where they've been yeah. laid off due to the pandemic or their jobs have been made redundant. So for you at that point of time, like I can imagine it's, it is such a shock, especially like. It's just timing, the economy, all of those stuff. But what did you do in that position as a person, in a sense? What was that point where you said, okay, I need to do something a little bit different? And how did you know where to go to next?
1: I didn't know where to go to next. But I've always been a person who was very bullheaded about my goals and what I at least eventually want to achieve. I think the most important thing for me was that I had to release any pride that I had at that time. Um, and be willing to do what I needed to do just to be able to survive. And so I spent some time working really odd jobs. Um, I was a telemarketer, I sold funeral plots, I was a mystery shopper. Um, For me, it was just about, you know, one, not laying down and admitting defeat. Um, because to be honest, I, I could have moved back home, which everyone doesn't have that that ability to do that. I could have moved back home with my parents, but I just wasn't willing to do that. And so um, I just did what I had to do. And one of the things that I did, I did get lucky enough for a friend of mine, an older friend who's like a kind of a, a older sister and a mentor to me who had you know, been a business owner, she'd own businesses, and she'd been in sales for years. And she told me, if you ever want to run a company, you need to learn how to sell something because about 85% of executives and CEOs have a sales background and that's really how I you know got into sales I had never dreamed or planned of doing that and so while I was doing these odd jobs I would be selling insurance during the day driving all over Los Angeles um, and then I would go and have a telemarketing job that I would do in the evening or do mystery shopping in the afternoon or evening to make sure that I could still pay my bills in the meantime
0: okay but. That- that is amazing and i think that that takes a lot of grit and it, and sales is something that is a learned thing it takes time to really like hone in those skills so that is amazing. And you went from someone who I would say started off in sales, eventually you became, um, I think you leveled up to become say, the sales and engineering and operations management um, person at UPS in a sense. So how was that career progression as someone who was doing the sales on the ground and then suddenly like working towards leading your own team, having a career in this industry in a sense? I mean, many people right now are in that position where they're probably starting things up, they're on the ground, but where did you go from there and how did you actually level up?
1: Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, for me, uh, at least half of my career, if not more than half of it, was a complete accident, right? And so how I even got into being at UPS was that I wanted to get out of commission sales into something more corporate um, that I considered safer at that time. And I was actually trying to get into pharmaceutical sales then because that was at the time a hot career that a lot of folks wanted. You got a free car and an expense account and, It just seemed like a really great job. That was um, a ton of fun. But, and I was in those interview processes and they were taking a very long time, months and months to get a job. And I just kind of fell into a UPS interview that someone else um, opened their Rolodex for me and put me in front of somebody just as an option. And they hired me the next week and I was broke. So I took the job. And so um, what ended up happening was that again, during most of my young years i really had an issue with just like bosses and just hating being told what to do particularly if i didn't respect the person who i was working for and so i would be in sales and i would end up with a boss that i didn't like and i would fall out with them and then i would. I would get promoted for a good performance. I move over to the operation, so I got a chance to manage people at a very young age, which was uh, which is a a blessing. I didn't realize how beneficial that would be to me at the time. I do the operation, and I like my manager, but hated the job. And then I got pulled into engineering, and then back into sales. And so I was just jumping around trying to find a job and a boss that I didn't hate. That's really what that was. But when you looked at my resume, it looked like. Um, a rotational program where I looked up and I had deep experiences and a couple of really key functional, um, uh, really really key business functions that really rounded out my perspective on how businesses ran. And so it was a complete accident. I would not recommend my path to anybody. But to answer your question about, um, you know, what did I focus on? I always knew that I wanted to be successful. I've always enjoyed um, solving problems. I've always enjoyed people. And even as I was floundering in many ways, I was always very adamant about, one, differentiating myself from other people and showing what I could bring to things unique, uniquely. I've always been big about bringing creative thinking to whatever it is that I'm doing. And as I've learned to think in different domains of business, I would use what's referred to as transfer learning where i would take what i learned in one place and apply it to someone else so when i was let's say selling in logistics and i just happened to be selling to an e-commerce um company i would use things that i learned as a software programmer at earthlink or as i use as a hobbyist building my own websites and then i would bring that to those sales conversations and so when my competitors either at my company or at other companies are just talking about packages. I'm talking about business and marketing strategy. I'm talking about building an email list. I'm talking about developing additional um, profit centers and income streams in that business. And so that was it was to help me to differentiate myself, so that I could you know win sales, do well, win awards, etc. And so even as I was like hating, literally, literally hating these jobs, uh, my own curiosity still drove me to be able to achieve some, you know, some, some fairly decent things relative to where I was at that time. And I think that um, just being turned on by the challenge of solving problems um, has always kind of kept me going, even during times when I was fairly uncertain about what the future held for me.
0: Okay, that's absolutely brilliant. And like, one, one of the things that I just thought I we could talk a little bit on was, you mentioned that you had issue with some of the bosses, like, not all bosses are great, so can't blame you. But you also had like a management role fairly early on. You manage others in a role in a sense. And many times it's like I've heard the saying that you, you become kind of like the person you learn from. So you kind of like repeat that cycle in a sense. So how do you manage to kind of like lead a team differently? Where did you learn how to actually lead a team in a way that was productive? Was it just like, this is the things I don't like and this is what I'm going to do different? Or was there a different way of thinking about it?
1: I think there's probably three areas where I pull it from. I mean, to be honest, my best leadership model is really my mom. I mean, she was a um, a principal and um, someone who I just always watched lead, whether it was in the community with her organizations or her sorority or at her job. And so I think I got a lot of good leadership lessons at home that I probably didn't appreciate um, as being that special. Um, And then as I began to work, I I, I always say that I've had some amazing bosses and some really bad ones. I think I probably learned more from the bad ones than the good ones. Um, Not only because there's been probably been more bad ones, but because I think that the lessons about what kind of boss I did not want to be stuck with me more um and i think finally i think the the if i can distill leadership down to what i believe is the my, my most simple central principle is that you should always at least try to be the kind of boss that you would want and i think for me it's always been a guiding principle it doesn't make me perfect it doesn't mean that everyone who's ever worked for me has loved working for me but i will say that like consistently i've done very well And leadership, as far as the feedback and scores that I get from my people. And I've also learned from them about how I can be better along the way. But more than anything else, I try to be the kind of boss, try to be the kind of boss that I would want. And that has really helped and guided me. And again, helped me to differentiate myself because I've at least tried to be someone that did not get um, too drunk on just having the power to be someone's boss. Um, I think that a lot of the, the bad roads that you can walk down, um, is being, um, sometimes it's easy for people to forget what it's like to to be on the other side. And I've never forgotten what it was like to be that 22, 23 year old, like brand new employee who is l- just looking for guidance um, and the way that you treat people when they're in that vulnerable com- um, situation, it, it can matter a lot in how they experience a company, an organization um, and how they end up developing in their own careers.
0: That, that is actually really, really lovely. I mean, I've had my fair share of people who've complained a little bit about how millennials and Gen Zs aren't exactly ideal employees. But I've also had people who said phenomenal things about them, about their creativity, about like them looking for guidance and providing that guidance for them. And I've been lucky to manage a team that that I've also seen do phenomenal things. But you've been incredibly successful at bringing teams together, I'd say. I mean, some of the teams you've had have been winning awards. I think there was once I read somewhere that you took one of the lowest performing teams and turned them into a high performing team. So a lot of successes in there. So if for all of those, if there are leaders listening in, whether they're a leader in a student organization or running a business or at a top level, what do you think is the one thing that, they need to keep in mind when they're working with new people in the organization or youngsters specifically.
1: Mm, I don't know if there's just one thing. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm a huge... um, um, I'm really big on not taking a broad brush and wiping it over an entire generation. There are amazing and horrible people in every group and every generation. And so I think it's, it's much more individualistic than that. And building teams is much more like picking fruit um, than anything else. And I think there's really two sides of that coin. One is that as a leader, you're never any better than your team. And so one of the best um, skills that you can develop is picking talent um and it's not necessarily based on like who you like the best uh, or necessarily who's even the absolute smartest it's about who's the best um fit for the vision you have I meaning they're very excited about it as well as they're competent for the specific role that you have for them so that's one big piece of it but on the flip side of it i also believe that great leaders don't necessarily need to have the most stacked teams in terms of talent. And we've seen that time and time again in sports where you have a team that's just mm-hmm. loaded with talent, but another strong coach can come and defeat them by just sticking to strong fundamentals. And so while it's important to pick talent well, I do think that when leaders focus too much just on picking the best talent, it's kind of a cop-out for them to happen to be good. I think that being really good at being, a leader is about being able to understand what is, what is valuable within an individual and how you can help them to develop that. Um, and so I, I, I feel, I think most satisfied about people who I've been able to work with or manage who were not the best talent, but maybe they had a ton of drive and they were just a sponge. And I could just lovingly just beat them into submission with Feedback and coaching. And over time, many of those people have become super strong performers. Because in, in a lot of jobs, you know, it's not rocket science. And so, in many um, roles, especially within an organization, it's really about um, really applying yourself to it and developing expertise, will often outdo talent or even smarts. And so, for me, when I someone works with me, I'm really thinking about what is it about this person that's great. Uh, what are they interested in, if someone's really aligned with the vision, um, I can usually find something that they can be good at. The reality is that some people just may take longer to get there than others. And that's where you got to really think about who you're picking in terms of talent.
0: Okay. Very cool in a sense. And I really like that whole, there's no one size fits all approach. Yeah. So, I think that another like question that we have, we may have a little bit of a lag here in a sense. But I think like another question that we have, and by the way, to our audience, if you guys have any questions, do drop it in the chat below. A lot of the USA, hi, welcome, and all. Uh, so feel free to drop your questions as well. But I think another question we have is uh, building teams is by itself extremely hard, but it's also taking those lessons and applying it in our own journey, in our own career progression in a sense. So like for you as an individual in your own career, in a sense, what has been like the, the top things that you have learned about or the top things that you've applied to actually grow yourself. Like, you started at Google as a senior manager. Today, you're someone who is extremely successful. Um, You are a global head, in a sense. And you did all of that in six years in Google alone, and not to mention the other amazing things that you've done before that. So what do you think are the things about you that have helped you achieve that growth?
1: Um, I mean, there's always a, a there's always a, multiple things. I don't, I don't believe that any person accomplish anything great truly by themselves. There's always someone else or a group of people who are usually behind you, whether they're opening doors for you, teaching you things, um, providing you with opportunities, taking bets from you, et cetera. And even at Google, I'm very happy for the um, trajectory that I've had, but I also was able to come into Google like mid-career. And so I felt like when I showed up, I um, had already learn a lot of the hard lessons and was able to really apply those quickly. And then, you know, I I do think it was, you know, when I was at Penn that kind of helped me get in the door with the internship that I had there. Um, So when I think about, you know, investing in yourself, I've just always believed that you are always your own best investment. And I've always believed that. And I think that putting yourself first is in many ways one of the most selfless things you can do because you can't be great for anyone else if you haven't invested in yourself first. You can't teach it, you don't have anything to teach anyone, nothing to offer anyone. You may not even be able to be in a good mood to help somebody out if you're not investing in yourself first. So for me, self care, the reading, um, educating myself, surrounding myself with the right people, I've always invested in. Um, what I was learning, um, how I was taking care of myself, the people that I was surrounding myself around. I mean, ecosystems really matter. I don't think I realized that when I was young. I thought as long as I worked hard, I'd be okay. What I've really learned since then is that the people who you're around, um, I can remember actually when I first left logistics and went back into tech, I literally felt a little dumb. And what I mean by that is I had been in an environment where just the conversation around business was just at a kind of a lower level for seven eight nine years and so i actually could palpably feel how much i needed to like catch back up in a tech environment with the way that i saw certain things and how quickly i responded to certain things and so i really experienced how like in an environment that i was in no matter how hard i fought against the culture still kind of overtook me and influenced me in some really strong ways. And so I think that one, just investing in yourself and putting yourself first, whether it's self-care, learning, spending the money to go and take a class, you know, um, to go off and go to a seminar and just learn things that you're truly interested in. Um, And then also being really picky and choosy about the ecosystems that you allow yourself to be in and the people that you surround yourself around, because they will absolutely have an impact on you, whether you plan it or like it or not.
0: Yep, yep. I completely agree. And I feel like the environment matters in a sense, not just the environment around you, but the people who make up that environment. I and mean, it really shapes the way you think, like we think, you know, and we actually have a question from the audience, kind of like in this direction, which is how do you manage yourself when some of the amazing people that you have, whether they're teammates, whether they're parts of that ecosystem that you, could, that you thought you could rely on or would be there in your organization, have different goals, and then they leave or they are no longer part of it, in a sense?
1: How do you manage that in a sense? Yeah, there's a book that I would recommend to the person who asked that question. It's called Super Bosses. And I actually do a little bit of mentoring for new managers that work. And I always recommend that book. It talks about, um, it chronicles bosses who do a fantastic job of developing talent. And one of the things that you will see that's a key trait is that really strong bosses are not too emotional about talent coming and going. Very similarly to how I sometimes hear extremely wealthy people talk about how they're not really that into money, how it's kind of an energy that they understand comes and goes. Talent is the same way. Um, The number one thing is one, you have to be someone who emanates a strong vision that can attract people to you. And it's not really about you as a person. It's about, people being inspired about what you're trying to build. You can get good at that. You will always have people incoming who want to be a part of it. But everyone is an individual. And some people may look at your vision as what they want to do for their life's work. For other people, it's a stepping stone. For other people, they just may be a refugee who doesn't even want to do it. And they somehow get through your radar and slip in and don't want to be there. They want to get out. You have to allow for all those cases because they will always happen. And whenever someone decides that it's time for them to go, it is always the right time. One of the things that I used to do, I don't do it as much anymore. Um, I used to actually celebrate people moving on for a number of different reasons. Um, I remember my main thing that I used to do when people would leave my team, I would order, I bring to work a bunch of like pastries and treats and champagne and juice. And I would have them to invite all their friends to come and have mimosas with them and treats all day um, as they came and went. And what that does, well, number one, it shows the people who already work for you that you appreciate people who work for you. And so the thing about it, a lot of what you do as a leader is being watched. And it's not always about this. It's really about how the people who are working with you and who will stay are, are seeing how you treat other people, right? And so it shows your appreciation. It also shows that if people have other aspirations, they don't have to be shy about them. Because when people are afraid to tell you that they have other aspirations, they begin to become sneaky. They can be <laughs> immersive. Um, and they'll not show up for things, not deliver on things. So that's actually a, a young lady now who used to work for me at a different company who was looking for a job for nine months. And I told her, I said, you don't have to sneak around. Let me know when you have an interview. Because I know that you want to be an accountant and not work in a marketing service department. Let me know and I will work around that schedule so that you can go. And but I, I did that because she was my strongest performer. And so I wanted her on her game at work. And I said, look, as long as you give me your best work while you're here, I want to I'll write the recommendation letter for you to go. So I've always had that type of an attitude about talent leaving. And um, because of that, the people who are around that, they are much more motivated um, to work. And the reality is that you can't stop people. So while they're there, get the best work out of them. That's really your job as a boss. Get the best work out of people. While they are there, there's a young woman now who's told me early on, Hey, I don't want this job at Google, I want to be an entrepreneur. I said, Great, I can help you with that. What skills do you want to learn? And she said, Well, I I, I want to learn how to manage people and I want to learn how to do mobs. Like, Great, let's work on that. Let's talk about that every week. So, in her weekly one on ones, we talked about what skills she was learning to be an entrepreneur. And you know what? She did go on. She started a company. Oh, she's going to hate me. It's called Petite Something. It's, for, it's clothing for women who are extremely small. She's done very well. She comes back to Google and speaks. And she's mentioned me a couple of times. But you know what? While she was there, I got her best work. She got promoted. She was a great member of the team. And it's always someone else coming behind that person to take that opportunity. It's always someone else. Who wants to come in and learn and be a part of the vision so to me it's all very fluid i celebrate it and i try to help people to get wherever they want
0: to go okay i think i can personally learn from that i mean recently i've started like our team at ascendance has expanded so now we've got like a lot more people and with more people there's more people coming more people going and there's i think i haven't been seeing it in the way that you've been seeing it as an energy more than something that's fixed something more fluid so i'll definitely take that advice and apply it in my own work in a sense So. Of- Thanks for that, and thanks. And I
1: also Lanya. remember the business too. It's called Petite Ave, A V E. And so, if you if you're a small lady and you're listening to this, or if you know a small lady, look up Petite Ave, and that's her business.
0: Okay, okay. So, guys, I think Lanya, you're quite petite as well. So maybe you might want to check that out. Like, it might be inspiring and also helpful. So go try that. <laughs> and um, I really, really like that. And there's a, there's that part about like giving the best in like as a mentor giving the best as someone who's like in a leadership position to the person that is under you to like get them to give their best work in return and i really really love that in a sense and going back a little bit to that whole idea of investing in yourself in like making sure that you can be your best self so that you can give in a way, the best guidance, the best mentorship to those around you. That kind of leads back to, like, um, doing your MBA, being at Penn, coming to Wharton in a sense. So why did you choose to come to Wharton in the first place yeah.
1: So um, I was super non-traditional as a, <laughs> um, a Wharton student. I think you and I talked before, and I told you that one of the things that I appreciated uh, when I got to Wharton's MBA program is how many of my classmates... Um, They had these really well-defined paths where, like, you know, maybe they had done like Deerfield or Exeter and then they went to Princeton and then they went to Goldman and then they came to Wharton and they were going to go to McKinsey. It was a really well-charted path. And I appreciate that. Um, It was not my path at all. I had no plans of getting a business degree. When I was an engineering major in undergrad, we actually... I think we were very snobby to business. Majors, that Anyone who wasn't in an engineering or STEM major was, was like not working as hard as us. I don't know what we were thinking. Anyway, what really happened to me was that when I left logistics, I took a 30 percent pay cut um, in the next job because I kind of talked my way into it. I was selling because you're always doing that. Um, but I had no actual experience in digital marketing at, an, at a respectable company. So I knew enough to answer the questions, but I had no references. And so I took a significant pay cut and I realized that people were getting paid more than me and sometimes getting larger jobs, even though I was outperforming people on the actual job or was, they were not smarter than me. They were not better at doing the role. Um, and I knew that I wanted to come to so to, I was in Los Angeles at the time. I wanted to come to the Bay Area. And um, I knew that the Bay Area, unfortunately, was very snobby about schools. That's changing, but it was very much the case, you know, ten years ago when I was th- first thinking about making that move. Um, and I, you know, I grew up in the South, small town kid. Um, I did well in school, but I just never like that whole pedigree thing doesn't matter to people. Were, who come from where i come from especially back then the way that it matters to like new yorkers or californians or people from certain parts of the midwest or other countries who come to the united states knowing only 10 schools and so i said well okay there's a very clear pattern here um i looked at my executive staff and i said well okay this is what you all want to see and i guess i'll go do that so um, I went and took an exam and did decently well and got to some great schools and, and chose Wharton out of those. And so it was for me, it was really about that initially. But when I arrived, it ended up being just the time of my life and really enriching on a lot of different levels where I really went to get a stamp. Um, but I left with like a family and an extended network and lots of personal development and some some really great memories that I will always cherish and always love. Coming back to Philly and just you know enjoying some of that nostalgia on going to some of my old places that I used to hang out at.
0: All right, that that's actually very very nice to hear, and um, it's also lovely. Like I I know you say you didn't plan your path, but I think that looking back, it's it seems like something very inspiring, and it's like it's not to be obsessed with the pedigree before you've even started anything, and which many people are. But it's also to know when what is needed in a sense, and kind of like Absolutely, make Yeah. Before. And I think that that is something that we can all learn from because you either have people who are like completely for it or completely against it. And I feel like your way of looking at it is something that we can all adopt in a sense. So tell us some of the things that um, you learned from Morton or you learned from that whole process that you, that still sticks with you till today. What's What was that, a couple of your main takeaways?
1: Well, I actually think that I, I probably learned more about myself than anything else. You know, um, being in an environment where, you know, I went to Wharton when I was like 35 years old, where most people were in their mid to late 20s. So the whole time I was there, I was the oldest person in the program and older than some of the professors who were there. Uh, And so and so I think for me, being in an environment where I was such an oddity was an amazing opportunity for self-reflection because I, I approached it. Um, like an adventure. You know, I was involved, I, I created clubs there. I was me and my classmate Lisa, we were the first graduates at the MBA level in behavioral analytics. Um before that there was no uh, there were no analytics grads. So we actually did a self directed major and now it's actually a full concentration there.
0: You were the pioneers. You
1: uh-huh.
0: were the pioneers, that's amazing.
1: Exactly. Um, you know, I, you know, played rugby and, you know, even though I was probably too old for it and got banged up pretty quickly. So I just, I just approached it as an adventure and had a blast. So for me, I think, you know, some of the things that I learned um, were one, just the importance of knowing your own true north because that environment had more resources than I had ever been exposed to before. And the thing about having lots of resources is that it can drive people a little bit crazy because of all these options. <laughs> that are available to you, you know, that I'd never been somewhere before where all the top companies want to come and recruit the students. I was just a hustling a lot harder for my own opportunities. And so, um, but I think that, you know, uh, in that environment, they purposely kind of brainwash you to think a certain way. I always saw myself as a very driven person before war. And I went, went there and realized how, how average I was in that environment, Um, even something as simple as, you know, getting on a list to go to a trek to a foreign country, everything was super competitive. And if you weren't, um, sharing information with your network and one of the first people to sign up in the first 20 seconds, you wouldn't, you would not get a spot. And so the power of networks was one of the biggest, um, lessons that I learned because everything was about who are the people you were talking to and what information were they sharing? And were you in the group that had the real information or the late information? And when did you get it? Because you might miss an opportunity if you're not getting the right information from the right. Just, just stuff like that. That's so simple. That had nothing to do with the classroom and everything to do with how the environment conditions you to be a certain way. Um, so that's, I think, was one of the huge lessons that I got. Um, those, two of the huge lessons. One was the importance of having your own true north so that you can really make the right choices for you and not be jazzed out by lots of different options. Um, And then two, just the, the, the power of developing networks and even going out of your comfort zone to meet people who you normally wouldn't know or talk to if you were not in that environment and being able to really learn the value and people from all over the world from different perspectives that can challenge your thinking and who will always know something that you don't. And so I feel like I grew much more, even though I was probably partially brought in as like age diversity, um, I learned just as much from my 23 year old um, um, learning team mate from Russia than than she, she was probably meant to learn from me being someone who'd already worked from 13 years before going to school. And so then they they really do a good job of designing the environment for a lot of cross learning from the other people.
0: Okay, that's very brilliant. And I feel like like it all goes back to that environment, that network, which I feel like at times as you mentioned we tend to stick in our own comfort zone so uh, we or we try to recreate our environment that we're used to as much as possible so that we lose out on like the diversity of actually a new place and all of that so bringing kind of like those lessons about environment and at the same time kind of like knowing your true north, as you put it, and, like, knowing what you want, in a sense. How do you replicate that in your career moving forward? I mean, like, we can't really, like, have an environment test before we go somewhere and, like, like ch- check all the boxes. But at the same time, it is something that is really important. So how do you kind of, like, find the right environment for you for you to grow moving after your time in Penn?
1: Well, uh, I think one thing that's, if I could link out those concepts of true north and network together Um, I feel like having a good network gives you the privilege of being able to do a lot of research on something um, before you venture into it yourself. Um, And so I've tried to stay connected to a lot of people from that environment um, and even across other schools or even through Google, that network just kind of builds really quickly. And so the way that I really use a lot of that now is that I feel like I'm always in the flow of a lot of information. I'm always, every day I'm reviewing tons of information that I'm using to make some sort of decision on career, on health, on family. Um, and so that's just become a big part of the way I lived, where before that, I was much more of a lone wolf. Uh, where I would figure things out myself and I, you never will get as far or figure as mu- figure out as much um doing things alone so I, I very much act that way now and even and even at work uh, I still network very aggressively I may do it very quietly because I'm not a very um, ostentatious person um, but I'm really good at getting on calendars and getting in front of people and making sure they know me and understanding you know how they're looking at the business how they're thinking about talent who they want to sponsor and making sure that I'm in line to be that person or one of those people. And so that's helped me tremendously. I think, um, again, going back to making sure that you're always differentiating yourself and that you're moving outside of your comfort zone. I've, I've been sponsored by and gotten helped by some amazing people that I probably would have never talked to 10 years ago that are now my biggest advocates and sponsors who've completely opened doors for me, opened their Rolodex for me and created opportunities for me.
0: Okay, that's brilliant. And like in terms of like networking, the way that you see it in a sense is so much more than what I feel many people think when they think networking. I feel like many people just think it's about passing a name card or maybe like talking to someone like on email or something like that. But the way you put it is kind of like understanding the people that you're working with, making yourself like differentiating yourself from the rest and at the same time making some meaningful connection that has this long lasting kind of impact in that relationship. So tell us a little bit about how like networking is for you and what are some of the things that we probably don't think about it the same way but or like we don't have the awareness that you may have about it and what can we change to kind of like be effective in this and use it for us to achieve the goals that we want or that we are passionate about?
1: Sure. I mean, I, I feel like I network in different directions. And what I mean by that is um, networking up, networking across and networking down. Right. So, what I mean by that, I think networking across is how a lot of people think about it. Just going out and just like meeting people. Right. Um, but for me, I, even when I was going to like live networking events, I was never a person who was interested in working the whole room. Right. For me, I was always thinking about who are the two to three people who I need to know in this room? And how can I go really deep with understanding and getting to know just them? right? Because that actually builds over time. If you're in 100 rooms, right, and you know one person in each room, you've now you've met 100 key people, right? And so I don't think about trying to develop so many, like, shallow connections with volume. It's more about, like, who are the right people, who I can be aligned with between my aims and goals and their aims and goals? Who can I help? Um, and any network of people, you want to be known as someone who's always providing value And so by the time, like for me, by the time I finally need something, it's so easy to get because I've already helped so many people. Um, Even us having this conversation, I mean, with like alumni, there's two types of people who are alumni, right? There's those who pick up the phone and those who don't. I tend to pick up the phone. Um, And that's what I mean when you say networking down, that's not in denigration. It's just like people who are actually younger than you um, have immense power as well. Uh, One day you may be someone who I have to come to for investment or for a job. You just never know. And so I never underestimate anyone's value or potential, and I'm genuinely interested in people, and I'm genuinely interested in what they're trying to accomplish and how I can help them to get that. And it doesn't matter if they are um, the, uh, a, a C-level executive who I want to know to get visibility to or if they are a peer. Um, I actually ended up in really um, investments that perform pretty well just from like people who are loosely in my network who reached out to me and i was just willing to talk to them about something random and then a year later they i got invited into an investment and, and went well right or if it's just someone who just needs my help you know when it comes to young people i try to be the person who i needed when i was their age right but then those people over time as i become older and more obsolete um it's people in your generation who will be like the huge leaders there's a person now who is not that much younger than me, but when I knew her in high school, she she was much younger than me by that scale, um, who now is like a congresswoman. You see what I'm saying? And so the same person who I may have been given a pep talk about why she should you know, go to a certain college is now like changing the face of my state where I grew up. That still impacts my mom, right? And so, <laughs> so that's what I been mean about networking in different directions and just being genuinely interested in people and genuinely interested in how you can help others. And if you do that well selflessly, um, when you finally do need help with something, you will always be able to find resources.
0: I really love the way you look at it. And it's about that genuine connection. And I feel like sometimes, like, I always get a little angsty at, like, like going for events or networking and things like that, simply because I feel like I'm not the kind of person who can have too many shallow conversations in a day. I think it just takes too much, like, of an emotional toll that, that you don't really feel fulfilled talking to anyone or, like, being able to help people or, like, like meet someone who has aligned goals so i really like that whole way that you put put it it's in kind of like just working with the people around you making sure that you really know the people who are in the room in a sense and finding the one or two people that you can help you can connect with and would be most aligned and i think that that's a better way of networking or thinking about networking that we can all take away from that and i personally love that definition a lot more than i think the dictionary definition
1: and one more thing there too when you connect in that way those people often are sources of more extremely valuable people um, that will end up being added to your network. Um, Because, you know, the birds birds of a feather flocking together, that really is true. And so a lot of times your network grows immensely. Uh, There is actually one particular friend that I have. That one friend has been the source of like 50 or 60 quality contacts in my network. And then there's another friend of mine who I met separately from that who i brought to a men's group that that one person um um started and from that men's group a lot of those guys ended up being his investors he actually just raised like 19 million dollars for a startup up in minneapolis of all places and that group was a big part of his investors and some of the folks in that group got his company in front of a large institutional investor who put significant money in. And so it just continues to, you when you focus on just trying to give to other people, I don't even think about um, trying to get anything out of it. And then again, when you finally do need something, it's just easy because you help so many folks and your name is so good in the streets, as they say, um, that it's, it's just nothing to actually get what you need when you need it.
0: Um, yep and i really like that whole selfless angle in the sense that you give first and then like receive later in a sense i think i think that's a lot more manageable and for a lot of people who are heart first i think it gives like as i said a whole new definition to networking and something that it would make the world a better place if we all did it in a way so i really like that and i think that um one of the things that i think have made you someone who was so interesting to do research on is the fact that you're so humble and you're so kind to so many people in a sense and that you value experiences across the board so I see that in like your your take on networking but I've also seen that in some of the interviews you've given on you you mentioned somewhere I think uh during one of the articles on you where you said that you learned so much from working with small businesses from different industries and all of that so I feel like sometimes like when we're in a particular industry when or for people who work in a particular company, um, they don't often have that perspective in a way. So why do you feel it's important to keep like, I don't know, your feet on the ground in a sense, talk to small businesses, um, being able to really engage with um, consumers in a sense?
1: Yeah, I think there are a, a number of benefits with having experience working in or with small businesses. I think one of them is that Uh, In a small enterprise, you really get access to more scope of responsibility. So maybe the enterprise isn't that big, but you're having conversations about maybe the entire supply chain. Right. Where if you are with a huge company, you're only focused on like your department, your job. Right. But if you are an employee or a salesperson in a smaller business, you you may be the person who has to be on the phone talking with um, a representative in China trying to get the products into the country and so you get to have that perspective and so your perspective on what it takes to run a business in its totality um is just a lot stronger i think for a lot of people i'm not saying this is like a path that everyone should take but i think being able to maybe get a good stamp at a large company and then go to a small one and get a lot of responsibility is a great way to learn and then deciding whether you want to then spin out to your own deal or come and work for another large corporation is isn't as is a Is one path that I think can work for a lot of people. Um, And so that's a big piece of it. But also, too, I think it's important to really understand um, what it means to build success from the ground up. A lot of times in companies that are already large and successful, they're so successful that the people in them don't even realize how mediocre they are. (laughs) at what they do because everything is already working so well. I actually got in trouble once at a job where um, I was, uh, I think, on the sales force and, you know, a really experienced district manager is probably in his 50s. He was bragging about having won an award for entrepreneurship. And I blurted out in front of like 100 people, you're not an entrepreneur. <laughs> and he was <laughs> like, what do you mean? How you know, it's so disrespectful how, how could you say that? I said you're not an entrepreneur. I said this company was a billion dollar operation on the day that you were born. Entrepreneurship was what the founders did when they had one yellow truck and one red truck in Seattle so that it looked like more trucks moving around the city trying to <laughs> serve their first customer. And so I think in a small enterprise, you really have your back against the wall and you know, a lot of times in a big company you have the luxury to like pick and choose, you know, we're only gonna focus on one thing and do it really well. Where like in a small company it's like we have to eat. Like the lights may not be <laughs> off. You know? how to do five different things because four may not work and so that that has always excited me that action but i think it's also important to have that perspective it sometimes gets me in trouble in big companies because i I say things that people don't want to hear um but i I think that small business is definitely where it's at you're going to learn different things i think in large organizations you learn a lot more polish and you learn a lot more what can be and how you run things at massive scale Um, But I think when smaller enterprises, you learn a lot more about where the rubber meets the road and you become a much better caller of bullshit because there's no no safety net for you if things don't work out. There's only closing your doors and and if it's your business living on the streets. Uh, And so that's where I think that dichotomy between large and small enterprises, you get both experiences. It makes you a much more well-rounded business person than only having one
0: again i think very very well said it's true as a small business owner my bread and butter depends on how much like i do in the like here and now in a sense so like i definitely see that and i feel like having spoken and like learning from people in large businesses really opens up my mind personally and and it's something that i am looking at like continuously learning from and growing in that sense as well so that is amazing and i really liked how you 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 meant you you're brave enough and bold enough to actually bring like those conversations to wherever you are working and actually call people out on that. I feel like you really bring kind of like the grit from that uh, small business world and actually apply it in a way that is for me personally quite meaningful in the larger companies and corporations that you work with. So how do you like foster in a company that is very large? I mean, look at the companies you work with UPS, Google, in a sense. How do you foster that sense of? urgency, or maybe that sense of um, determination, dedication that you would normally see in small businesses in your team and the people you work with?
1: Well, I think, um, a lot, again, back to ecosystems, right? Um, large companies usually have smaller companies within companies. Hmm. And okay. so when I first took my role at Google, um, because I initially went to war and thinking I was going to go work for a startup, I was very picky about where I worked. And I specifically chose the fastest growing ads unit that dealt with startups every day because I wanted to be a part of that particular energy. Um, And to this day, that division still is really important for driving a lot of the growth um, that comes through that company. And so I chose, I think, the right environment first, because the reality is it doesn't matter what your ideas are. If you're in the wrong environment, it's it's just going to be frustrating. Because um, organizations of any kind tend to develop a lot of groupthink. And depending on what, what kind of groupthink you drop yourself into, um, it can create a situation that's, that's, that can be untenable. So in the environment that I'm in, is it perfect? No, but it is fantastic, about as great as it can be um, at a large company. And so I do work in an environment where there are a lot of other people who, who are MBAs and that you have to have one. But it does help to have that common language. Um, there are a decent number of folks who've been in startups before. And then I try to think about, you know, as I've been able to be fortunate enough to build teams and influence who comes into the corporation. I'm very picky about that. I'm super happy that someone who I'm trying to bring in now that's like, you know, a woman veteran that was like a Rose scholar has all these interesting experiences and so you know I think about who am I now bringing into the organization are these people who I want to work with are they going to bring ideas um, and I try to make sure that from a talent perspective every person who you bring on should raise the standard and so one I would say pick the ecosystem right in, in a large company don't just take a job Because in a large company, you can be super miserable or super happy in the same company. And so realize that. And again, use your network, do that research, look at the numbers and try to figure out where you want to be. Um, And then once you get there, think about what is it that you bring into the environment? Are you setting the pace? Are you differentiating yourself? Because when you do that, you can eventually become one of the people who they will will turn to and say, okay, we want you to lead in this organization. We want you to help us to define the future and determine the kinds of people who we bring in here. And so that's how I look at it. And for me, it's the only way that I could work at a large enterprise is to have the opportunity to do that
0: you just that actually kind of connects many of the things that we've been talking about like from networking to building yourself to picking that environment and ecosystem and it all goes back to kind of like molding that, that that culture around you in a sense so that you can thrive your team can thrive and I and I and I like how it's all kind of like the dots are kind of connecting as we kind of like wind down our conversation and just to like take a question from the audience um As someone who is now head of sales enablement and strategy, big company like Google, how was it like doing all of this during the pandemic? You already have an ecosystem in place. You already have something that works. And then this pandemic comes that changes everything for everyone all across the world. How was that like for you?
1: I mean, on the company side, it's a very privileged place to be, to be a part of an established company. Um, And it was an incredible honor, in a way, to be a part of an organization that was really helping others find their way through the end, the pandemic. I mean, we actually canceled one of our major internal processes um, that we do every year so that the engineers could have more time to make sure that our services would be available to other businesses that would need to use them um, at no cost while they were trying to survive during the pandemic. Um, But at the same time, regardless of what privilege you may have being a part of a certain company, it doesn't make your life magically be perfect. And, you know, I watch people lose loved ones. I watch people lose parents. I had people I had one um, leader who was working for me uh, who was in New York where he had, you know, was, was married with children and had like a mother. Who he had to quarantine in a a different part of the apartment to keep her from getting sick, and then he got. It was just so much chaos going on for people um, that you know. I think I saw the a little bit of both sides of that. Where on one side you feel incredibly lucky um, to to you know still have a livelihood and to be helping others. On the other side, extreme sadness uh, and seeing some of the things that some people had to endure and go through and that all that all made it through you know in a good way.
0: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And as a leader, what or as like the pandemic is still going on for many people um, in the US in the rest of the world, what can we do as someone who may have a little bit more privilege whether it's access to vaccines or being in a position of leadership? Or just being fortunate to be in a safe space where we don't have like we're not on the front line. What can we do for those around us, for the teams we have, for the people around us to make their lives better, do our part in a sense?
1: Well, it's important to really understand like what the people who work for you are going through, because even if, um, again, they may be in a privileged position in whatever opportunity that they have, you don't know what's going on in their personal life. And what they're dealing with. So someone would be doing just fine themselves and they have to fly home um, in, a, in a huff in an emergency to to bury a loved one or to see someone who's doing really, really bad. And so I think being able to be very flexible is super important. Um, being tuned in to people, making sure that it's a safe space for people to speak up and to make their needs known um i'm a person that as a boss i care more about people's output and production than i do things like whether or not they're hanging around the office all day or they're doing work working late i mean i am usually done myself at 3 o'clock um and so i don't expect other people to be working all the time um and so just being able to be flexible you know someone says hey this is going on in my family my thing is go take care of your family the work will get done. And so having that flexibility and really understanding and knowing your people and being empathetic about what they're going through. And this is this all goes back to, again, when you choose the right people who are bright and ambitious and they love the vision, they will get the work done. And because I know that I've, every, every person who I've hired on the team that I have right now that I chose myself, they had that. And so when they need... Um, flexibility. I have no problem giving it to them. And then what happens when they experience that is that they come back from that and they work even harder.
0: All right. Yep. I can definitely see where that's going. And maybe to end off our session and to wrap up, I'll just ask this. Many times we would ask like, for a message to the audience, to those watching, and what your words of wisdom is for them. But maybe we can do it a little bit different. So for all of those people that you work with or that you have worked with in the past, in a sense, if you could tell them one message, what would it be or one thing that you'd want them to know?
1: Um, Be true to yourself. I think if there's there's one defining idea that has helped me in my crazy journey, it really has been that. You know, there were so many times where I didn't necessarily know what was next or was not necessarily sure if I was making the next right decision, but I was always being true to myself. And ultimately, it led me to a path of getting up every day, doing things I love with people that I care about, um, and being able to just be in a position where every day is really a joy. I mean, my life is not perfect, but there's a true sense of joy that I have on a daily basis because everything that um, defines my environment is something that I freely chose, as opposed to allowing life to just happen or just settling for something. Um, and so for me, I think that's that's the thing that I would that I would tell anyone that I think is more important than anything else that I could say or impart.
0: Okay. And beautifully said. So thank you so much. It's been so lovely talking to you. And I've personally learned a lot. And I think our audience is also in awe, in a sense, of many of the things that you said. So thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you for all the things that you shared.
1: Thanks for having me, Harsha. And um, of course, best of luck to you.
0: Thank you. And to all of our audience, uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed this as much as me. I know sometimes I just get involved in the conversation. So sorry, guys, but it's a great conversation. So if you guys enjoyed the show, remember to uh, read up more about the amazing things that Lawrence does. Um, I don't know, support him in whatever way that you can. And of course, make sure that Google is your preferred browser because, you know, we've got to do our part as well. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. And this has been Changing Reality. It's been a lovely... um, Thursday afternoon for all of you on the East Coast, um, like chatting here again, and for all of you around the world thank you for making the time to actually tune in and watch Changing Reality with us so we'll be back again next Thursday with another amazing episode, till then, see you guys bye you're listening to Changing Reality Changing Reality where we bend reality all across the world only on WQHS radio